On this episode, Discretion and Justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 9, and today we'll be going over lesson 14 of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. Last episode, we read in Genesis 8 and 9, and we discussed the ending of the flood and what happened immediately after Noah and his family got off of the ark. We talked about peace and worship and sacrifices and God keeping His promises. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. It's always encouraging to be reminded that God keeps His promises. This week, we're going to talk about an incident that happened a little time after Noah and his family got off of the ark. And we'll start by reading in Genesis 9, 18. It says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk. And became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Okay, we're going to stop right there. I just want to tell you a couple of things before we discuss kind of the theme of this passage. The first thing is, if you notice that it says Ham was the father of Canaan, and then a little while later again, Ham, the father of Canaan. The reason it's written this way is because Moses is the one that wrote these books, wrote Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. And the people are about to enter the promised land, which we will talk about later at the time that these books were being completed. But this promised land was owned by the Canaanites. And so it would be significant to the people, to his audience that he was speaking to, that he was writing to, for them to know that Ham was Canaan's father. And so that's why that's written in there, because later on that becomes important. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is Noah being drunk. This is the first mention of anyone being drunk in the Bible, and it's possible that he just had too much to drink. But there's also another possibility that After the flood, the atmosphere was different. 
we discussed before about if it had not rained until the flood, then there was a canopy of water covering the whole earth, which would have protected the earth from the sun's rays and things like that. And now that that layer of water is not there, it very well could have been that the temperature change and the effects of the sun may have made the wine ferment quicker and made it stronger than before. And he just wasn't prepared for how strong that was going to be. And that's why he got drunk. Either way, We know that Noah was in a vulnerable situation and it was definitely not something that you would want advertised. Rather, he purposefully did something he shouldn't have or it was accidental. So that brings us to really the theme of all of this is that Ham saw this and he could have preserved his father's dignity by just covering him up and keeping the whole thing to himself. But instead... He left him lying there like that and then went to tell his brothers about it. There's no honor for his father when he's willing to reveal his vulnerabilities, his weaknesses, his mistakes to other people. There's nothing honorable about that. There's nothing that says he respects his father when he acts in such a way. And immediately his brothers do the complete opposite. They're like, well, then we need to cover him up. And not only do they cover him up, but they walk backwards covering him as they walk so that they can save their father further embarrassment that they don't see him. So they did honor him. They did respect him. And not only that, but they were caring and understanding and discreet about the whole matter. It seems like Ham was just making fun, laughing at his father while he was in a vulnerable position and unable to really do much about it. So that just brings us to the point of how are we whenever we see things in other people that might be embarrassing, that might not be everybody's business. You know, there's one thing to be truthful and open and all of that about yourself, but it's kind to be discreet about other people's mistakes and struggles and things that they're dealing with. I want you to listen to a verse in Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Again, in Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Lastly, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So if you love someone, you don't go all around town telling everyone their sins. If you love a person, you want people to think good of them. You will be discreet about the things that they struggle with because you don't want others to think bad of them. Love covers sins. It says God wants our sins to be covered, but Kings, people that are in charge, they seek them out to punish or, you know, deal with the problem. But God is like, hey, I don't want everybody's business out there for other people. God will deal with it and he is the ultimate judge. He is there to condemn or to forgive. Jesus is there to cover our sins for the Father. Jesus does that 
what Shem and Japheth did for Noah, where they took the blanket and covered their father's nakedness, covered their father's sins so that everyone didn't see it. That's what Jesus does for us. He takes our sin and he covers it with his blood so that when the father looks upon us, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees Jesus's righteousness. So we just need to be careful to always be discreet about others because when we go around telling other people bad things about them, that hurts their reputation and we all do wrong things. And if Jesus is willing to cover our sins so that when the Father looks on us, He doesn't see it, then we should be willing to cover the sin of the people that we love so that they can be saved from embarrassment. So let's move on now to what happened once Noah woke up, beginning in verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So when Noah woke up, he quickly found out what Ham had done, which is inevitably always what happens. And he was angry and he cursed him, but he didn't actually curse him directly. It doesn't say that he curses Ham. It says that he curses Canaan, which we know is Ham's son. Apparently it had been long enough after the flood that Canaan had already been born and the curse falls on him. This is something that's a little bit difficult to understand. Why would Noah curse his son and not him for what he did? We could speculate and we could say maybe Canaan had the same tendencies as his father because he had been raised by him. Maybe he also had the same types of characteristics. We could say that a punishment to the son is a punishment to the father. It also may be that God has already blessed all the people that were on the ark and so Ham can't be directly cursed. We're not really sure. We don't know why it is that this happened this way. And it may seem a little bit unfair to us, but here's the thing. Anytime that we begin to see something in the Bible and we think, well, God isn't being fair in that instance or whatever, we have to go back and look and say, well, we may not think that's fair, but the Bible tells us completely contrary to that. You know, sometimes we are reading something and we think, that's not fair, or that doesn't seem merciful, or that doesn't seem caring, or whatever. But if the Bible says something contradictory to what we're thinking, then we know, obviously, that we're wrong and God is right. And so if the Bible tells us that God is fair all the time, then we know that is actually the truth and that we're just perceiving this in the wrong way. So I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy 32, 4. This tells us some of the characteristics of God. And so if we ever think that God is not one of these things by something that we read, then we have to just know that our perception says that that's wrong, but it doesn't make it so. It says, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. So this says that his work is perfect, and it says all his ways are justice. And then again, it says he is a God of truth without injustice. So twice there, it tells us that he is just. 
And so if we believe what this verse says, then we have to know that all his ways are fair. That's what it says. If it seems to us that his ways are not fair, then we're wrong. If it seems to us that his work isn't perfect, we're wrong. If it seems to us that he's not doing something that is right, we are wrong because these are the things that this verse says. There's a multitude of verses that tell us about God's character. And so when we begin to think something about God's character, we have to check it with the word of God and see, is that possible? Is it possible for God to do something that is unfair? And if the Bible says that it is not, then it is not. Rather, we feel that way or not. We're looking at things from a human perspective. And so things look different to us sometimes. But God has a reason. He knows what He's doing. And we just have to trust that it's right. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, this is God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That just tells us God's ways are not the same as ours. But we know that if there's a difference, that God's ways are the right ways. And it says that, as we read on further, that His ways are higher than our ways. They're better than our ways. I believe God wants us to ask questions when we don't understand things. I think that that's one way that we learn and grow. And it's okay to say, I don't understand that and ask God. But we have to make sure that we're listening when we ask the question that we genuinely want to know the answers. You know, what's it like whenever our children ask us questions? If they're asking us questions because they're truly wanting to understand, then that's one thing. If they're asking us questions because they're trying to say that we're wrong, say that we're not handling something in the correct way, then that's an entirely different situation. And it's the same thing with God. We have to make sure that when we're asking Him the questions, we're truly seeking to understand and we're not just asking Him so that we can say, you're not doing this right. Because again, we know that everything that God does is right. We also have to make sure that we're prepared to listen for the answer because sometimes the answers that God gives us are not easy to accept. And so we need to make sure that we're prepared for whatever it is that he has to tell us. I want to read you what God says to Job. God has allowed Job to go through very, very difficult times, and Job is confused. This is what God says to him after he's been questioned by Job. So we're going to read a lot of verses, but just sit back and reflect upon what it is that God's telling him, because this is an answer that we could possibly expect from God whenever we ask him a question. This is Job 38, 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? (laughs) So he immediately says, Who is this that's talking to me about things he does not understand? (laughs) And then he tells Job, Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and then you can answer me. So he tells him, Okay, you ask the question, I'm going to answer you. Brace yourself. Listen to verse 4. It says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. And then skip down to verse 8. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? Verse 11. When I said, This is as far as you can come, but no further. And here your proud waves must stop. 
Have you commanded the morning since the days that you began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 17, Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadows of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know these things. So he's telling him, he's like, "Um, Were you there whenever I created the earth? And whenever I gave the earth its boundaries, whenever I gave the sea its boundaries, do you tell the sun to come up? Do you know about the gates of death? He's asking him and basically saying, I do know all these things. So who do you really think you are to question me whenever I have so much more power than you do? He goes on in verse 20. Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused or is the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on the land? Skip down to verse 28. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? The water hardens like snow and the surface of the deep is frozen. Verse 34. Can you lift your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? 36. Who has put wisdom in the mind, or who has given understanding to the heart? 39. Can you hunt the prey for a lion, or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? 41. Who provides food for the raven, when its young ones cry out to God, and wander about for lack of food? Chapter 39, verses 1 through 2. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they will fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear their young? I mean, God is just sitting there telling him over and over, these are all the things I do. What do you do? What are you in charge of? Can you make it rain? Can you make it snow? Do you know the path that the thunderbolt holds? Do you know when every animal gives birth and how long their children are going to live? Because I do. That's what he's saying. I know all these things. Do you know those things? And then he says, who put the wisdom in each person's mind? Who gives understanding to the heart? Well, guess what? That's me. I do that. I give you the wisdom that you have. You don't have any thought process without me. So who are you to question me? In chapter 39, verse 19, it says, have you given the horse strength? 22, he mocks at fear and isn't frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. 24, nor does he come to a halt because of the trumpet that is sounded. 26, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? He's saying, I'm in charge of everything. I created the horse to be exactly the way that it is. I give the hawk the wisdom to fly, and I command the eagle as to what to do. Do you do those things? Oh, right. No, I didn't think so. Listen to chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty God correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. So he says all these things to Job. He says, Can you do this? Can you do this? And then he says, Who are you to correct me? To rebuke me. 
And listen in verse 3, Job answers and says, Behold, I am vile. What should I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. So Job says, I I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. I I I should just put my hand over my mouth right now. I I know I spoke to you before, but I have nothing to say now. But God doesn't stop there. Verse 6, he says, Prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Do you have an arm like God? This is a perfect verse for if we're questioning why God thinks it's okay to curse Canaan instead of Ham. He would say, "Um, can you annul my judgments? Can you condemn me so that you can have what you think is just? You think I'm not fair, but are you the judge? You don't have an arm like me. You are not mighty like me. Listen to chapter 41, beginning in verse 1. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a lion that you lower? Verse 3. Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird? Verse 9. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. The Leviathan is a great beast And this chapter goes on to describe exactly how fierce this animal is and how impossible it is for a man to kill him. And he tells Job that this beast makes supplications to him. He speaks softly to God. He makes covenants with God. And God makes him his servant and plays with him just like a bird. God says, this is what I can do with the Leviathan. What can you do? And he says, nothing. He says, you can't overcome him. You wouldn't even dare stir him up. So if you wouldn't even mess with this beast on this earth, then who are you to stand against me? He says, no one came before me, so I have no one to pay. Everything under heaven belongs to me, so you are no one to question me. So listen, this is how it ends. Chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me that I didn't know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you will answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. So Job says, I know who you are, and I know that whatever you intend to do will be done. And you asked who I am to say these things, and I realized I was talking about things that I didn't understand. Things that were too wonderful for me that I just didn't even know anything about. And he said, now I truly see you, and I know that I'm nobody. Now, Job has some friends that have been talking to him. And in response to what Job just says, God says that his wrath is against Job's friends. 
but it is not against Job because he says, Job has spoken of him what is right, and these people did not. And then he ends up restoring all the things that Job has lost and gives him twice as much as he has before and makes the last days that he lives on this earth better than the first days. You see that God is fine with Job asking these questions because he says, you you see me, you get it. But he also is very stern with him. And so if we ask questions, we need to be willing to listen to the answer because it's fine if we ask a question and we want to know the answer, but it's an entirely different thing to say that we are smarter than God or try to prove that God is not doing something correctly because he will quickly put us in our place. If anything that we think is contrary to what the Bible says about God, then we just need to continue to remind ourselves that we are wrong. He is right. He is the God of everything. And just as he said, everything under heaven belongs to him. He is in charge of so many things that we have absolutely no concept of. We just really have no business questioning his motives or his intents or his actions. If we want to understand Many times, if we ask the question, He will help us understand. But we have to be careful that we're not questioning His motives. We're not questioning the words that we hear in this Bible and know to be true and try to say that somehow we are right and He is wrong. That's the type of questioning that I'm talking about. Asking questions in order to find out answers is wonderful. Asking questions in order to prove God wrong and ourselves right is completely wrong. We have to trust that if God's doing something, then His ways are perfect, as we read in Deuteronomy. So, we're going to end there. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com, L-I-V-E-T-H-R-U-J-E-S-U-S. I'd love to hear your thoughts and answer any questions that you may have for me. Next week, we will be talking about the Tower of Babel and what pride can do for us, and also the disbursement of the people on the earth and where Shem, Ham, and Japheth all end up settling. Next episode will be our last episode in the creation, corruption, and destruction study, and then we will begin Abraham. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Thanks, and have a good day.